I invite my best friend to go to the Masters with me, Chris Carter, Shannon Sharp, Warren Moon. We're going to go to the greatest sporting event in the highest, you know, private jet, the whole bit. And he looked at me and he's like, I don't want to go. I was like, what? What do you mean you want to go? He goes, I want to hang out with you or your friends. I was like, why not? He goes, I don't like what you guys do. And I said, well, I'm not doing what those guys are doing, Rob. Why don't you come? You'll have a great time. He said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. And man, that rocked my world. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Martin Luther King Jr. All reality hinges on moral foundations and all reality has spiritual control. Our guest today, David Meltzer, has excelled by combining spiritual values with business acumen. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sports One Marketing, one of the world's leading sports marketing firms and a master coach and consultant. He's also the best-selling author of three books, including Game Time Decision Making and the host of the top podcast, The Playbook. David, welcome. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. I'm so excited to be here. This is right up my alley. I love to elevate others to elevate myself. <laughs> well, speaking of that, you've had a, a fascinating career path, a meteoric rise, a downward spiral, and then another rise. So uh, let's walk through that. Let's start a little bit at the beginning. What, what was your early career focused on and how did you become so successful so quickly? You know, my early career was only focused in on money. Uh, although I was philanthropic, I had a negotiation and trade bug, meaning everything was a trade or a negotiation for me. And yeah. all I wanted to do was be rich to buy my mom a house and a car. I had this extraordinary family growing up, a single mom with six kids. And she sacrificed so much for me, worked two jobs, packed my dinner into paper bags. And all I wanted to do was be rich because growing up, the only frustration or negativity I had in my life was financial stress. And if I could relieve that, I thought for sure I'd be happy the rest of my life. And, and so what did that look like for you, the success part? Yeah, the success part, <laughs> at first it was ridiculous. I wanted to be a professional football player, but quickly found out in college when I very first play got ran over by Christian Okoye. I was lying on my back. Uh, yeah, I remember him. He was very good in, uh, I think it was like Tecmo Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Like with my business partner, Warren Moon, they were great Tecmo Bowl and Bo Jackson. <laughs> but I... Uh, it was funny because I literally, when I was lying on my back, my freshman year in college, run over, all I could think of was what my mom used to say, doctor, lawyer, or failure. So after- <laughs> that Jewish mother, sounds like. You got it. Yeah, the, the Jewish mom. I would say she had a black belt in the martial arts of Jewish guilt. That's why all six of us were so successful. Anyway, I didn't want to be a doctor, found out because doctors had to be in hospitals. I hate hospitals. I'd cry all day. And so I went to law school. I actually, you know, did something unique. Um, my brother told me, you know, be more interested than interesting when I told him that I wanted to be a doctor and realized that doctors had to be in hospitals. I reverse engineered where I went to law school specifically to make a lot of money. I actually went and saw what graduating uh, lawyers made and what jobs paid the most, what law schools had the most kids that got those jobs. And so I ended up being a maritime oil and gas litigator so I could you know, make millions. Ironically, I was faced with the decision graduating from law school to be a sales rep in the internet 
uh, selling legal research or to be a real lawyer litigating oil and gas. And of course, I went for the money side, even though my mom told me the internet was a fad and I'd ruin my life if I wasn't a real lawyer. <laughs> there are only three jobs you can have. Yeah. So you went the money route and then how did the downward spiral come about? What happened and, and why did it happen? Well, what happened was I really believed that money bought love and happiness. I was a millionaire nine months out of law school. We sold for $3.4 billion in 1995, our company. I went to the Silicon Valley, raised hundreds of millions of dollars, ended up the CEO of the world's first smartphone, a Windows C device by Samsung called the PCE phone. I married my dream girl. I thought that was because of the money. And what happened was three things gave me a lesson that money doesn't buy happiness or love and that I was on the wrong track. I grew up in a world of not enough. I was yeah. a victim, right? I was jealous of everyone. I was competitive. There was, was never enough for me. I moved to this world of multimillionaireism, which I call the world of just enough. I was consistently buying things to be happy. I was buying things I didn't need. And I definitely was buying things and donating things to impress people I didn't like. And that came to a head when three quick lessons. One, uh, when I was 30 years old, my father gave me a jacket for my birthday. First time he'd given me a gift in 20 years. My dad left when I was five. He was my hero. Forgot my birthday when he was 10 and lied to me and said he didn't celebrate birthdays. And that's when he became my zero. He now gives me a birthday present at 30, a jacket with no pockets, I call him completely pissed off, not understanding. And he explains to me that the jacket was not for wearing. The jacket was to be hung in my closet to remind me not only that I couldn't be the richest man in the cemetery, but more importantly, that I was just like him. That money does not buy happiness or love. He did not want me to make the same mistakes he had made. And I wasn't ready to hear that lesson. The second lesson uh, was much later, 2006, I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. I was CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world. Uh, most people know Lee from the movie Jerry Maguire. They had based that movie off of him. But I was living a crazy life, surrounded by celebrities, athletes, entertainers, going to the biggest sporting and entertainment events and, and you know award shows. And I, at that time, went golfing with my best friend, uh, a friend from the fourth grade who actually – he asked my wife at sixth grade camp to go steady with me. She said, no, embarrassed me, uh, asked me himself, she said. And uh, I threw an egg at her. But anyway, this friend of mine had been my friend my whole life. No one had said no to me in so long. You know, there's a book out there about don't take yes for an answer. That's all I ever got. From the time I was about 24 years old as a millionaire into my multi multi-millionaire status, Everyone in my life just said yes to me. Nobody would tell me the truth. Well, I invite my best friend to go to the Masters with me, Chris Carter, Shannon Sharp, Warren Moon. We're going to go to the greatest sporting event in the highest, you know, private jet, the whole bit. And he looked at me and he's like, I don't want to go. I was like, what? What do you mean you want to go? He goes, I want to hang out with you or your friends. I was like, why not? He goes, I don't like what you guys do. And I said, well, I'm not doing what those guys are doing, Rob. Why don't you come? You'll have a great time. He said, Dave, you could lie to me but don't lie to yourself. And man, that rocked my world. Nobody in years had even brought up the fact that I was lost, that I had no clue what I was doing. And meanwhile, he exposed the truth in my life that I was completely unhappy living in this world of just enough, of buying things I didn't need to impress people that I didn't even like. 
And now my life was about to change two weeks later. Uh, I'm married to my dream girl. I have three daughters under the age of eight at the time in 2008. You know, anything I wanted to buy, I had. And I went to the Grammy Awards uh, with a rapper named Little John. And I I lied to my wife. Uh, She had said I'd been traveling and partying way too much. I said, well, you know, I got a business meeting. I got to go. Meanwhile, I went to the Grammy Awards, changed clothes in the car, got completely wasted, came home at 5.30 in the morning. And that's when my life was changed forever. My wife told me she wasn't happy. Uh, She told me I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. Or not only was she leaving, but I was going to end up dead. And I got pissed. You know, I was, I had a great need to be offended. I was living in this ego-based consciousness. I told her, how dare you talk to me that way? You're so ungrateful. Don't you see what we have and what I've given you? How dare you? And I woke up in the morning even more frustrated and angry thinking, if money buys happiness, I was going to take her happiness. I was going to get divorced, find how I could take everything, even thinking how I could take my own children. And then my life changed because I looked over into the closet and that jacket was staring at me and I just started to cry. I still choke up today telling the story. I've told it a hundred times, but I looked at that jacket and realized, man, I'm just like my father. I am a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, an overseller, a backend seller. Everything I hated about my father for over 20 years, I've hated about myself. And that's the day I started to take inventory of my own values, personal, experiential, giving and receiving values, and starting a process and a practice to live by those values, to create what I want, no longer living in a world of not enough or just enough, but move into a realm, a world of more than enough, more than enough of everything for everyone. I was going to allow it to come through me with gratitude and appreciation for others. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. 
The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So, so how did you begin the process of, of figuring out your values? I think a lot of people want to do that, but they don't know where to start or how to start. Well, you know, I'm very mathematical and very pragmatic. You know, time is part of the reason or impact that I have in order to effectuate the financial success in my life. So what I did was I started by literally a practice of taking inventory of my personal experiential giving and receiving value. So I created these four categories. One was gratitude, because what I realized was gratitude was the most powerful thing that I had. It was a a perspective building thing that gave me unbelievable joy because it found the light, the love and the lessons and everything. And so I was going to live my life finding and seeking the light, the love and the lessons, the superpowers in everyone. I wasn't going to look for what I didn't want. I was only going to vote for what I wanted to be elected in my life. Hmm. The second thing when I did, I do this every day, by the way, I, I take inventory of my values every day and I'm not worried or scared of being a hypocrite, meaning not afraid to change my mind about what I value and what's important to me. So when you, uh, let me ask you, when you say you take inventory every day, does that mean your values change daily or you evaluate how you're doing against your values? Both, right? So I take inventory of my values saying, how am I doing against these values? And if I learned a lesson the day before that may alter, change or adjust or modify, you know, one of the things that I thought to be true, And, you know, one of the greatest lessons of humility that I have is I don't know what I don't know. I've learned there's multi-billions of variables in the universe, and it would be silly for me to think that I have any clue on what I'm doing. So in order to take inventory, it's kind of my North Star. And the biggest growth uh, and lesson of taking inventory was the fact that, wow, I'm allowed to change my mind. And it's okay that people, you know, they say, I thought you said this was going to happen. I thought you said this was important to you. Right. you know, even later on in life, I shifted my values. I always said family first, activity I get paid for second, uh, and then my health. I've completely shifted that over the last, because of my inventories, because of my wife actually pointing out, dude, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone. And as I got to be 50 years old, I completely shifted my entire value system around health first, I will turn down even my kids playing with me before I get my workout or what's necessary to make sure I'm healthy. But, so that's kind of how I take inventory. Anyway, I you know use that gratitude as a lens to find the light, the love, and the lessons, to learn to love what I do, to enjoy the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential. And then the second big one was the lessons of forgiveness that are there every day that I look at with my values. Because Forgiveness is a means, and a lot of people don't see forgiveness or empathy as a means, but it really is a means to unwind the perspective or the untruths or illusions that we tell ourselves. And forgiveness is the only way to quickly and effectively unwind that untruth that's been bothering us or interfering with what we really want or creating void shortages and obstacles, ego-based consciousness a lot of the time. And then for me, accountability was huge. You know, as I take inventory of my values, I want to make sure that I'm in control of my own life. So I ask myself, number one, what did I do to attract this to myself? And number two, what am I supposed to learn from it? 
And those three values led me to that shift in the paradigm of allowing life to come through me, not to me as a victim, not for me in the world of just enough, but through me. So instead of giving to receive, I focus on receiving so I can give. And this abundant universe that I live in has completely changed not only my perspective, what I call the law of attraction, but the law of Goya as well, right? Getting off my ass, doing and and attracting and acting intention plus intention for the coincidences that I want. So when you talk about forgiveness and the act of forgiving, for how, how many people does that really start with themselves? Always, right? So for me, I'm always forgiving myself and shifting my own energy so that I can forgive others. I was saying, nobody deserves my forgiveness. I deserve my forgiveness to others. And uh, it really starts with you. You can't give what you don't have, right? That's the idea of receiving to give. So I allow forgiveness to come through me the same as I allow, you know, money to come through me for others. So when you made that shift, and I take it you're still with your wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. (laughs) You made that shift. Uh, I think there was the personal side and there was a professional side. So part of that was sort of going back to what you loved, right? With sports, both in terms of the agency and the marketing. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. But first, I know you were the CEO. You talked about being the CEO of of Lee Steinberg's agency and and Jerry Maguire. I actually watched Jerry Maguire two nights ago with my son. He loved it. (laughs) So was he the the agency SMI, the one he was at, or was he the one that he left? Or which which was the one that he was known for? Yeah, so Lee actually was, it's an amalgamation. He was a Berkeley undergrad and grad, president of his class, actually debated Reagan. Complete genius, partly on the spectrum. But he actually was... Tom Cruise. And what he did was he left his own firm. In other words, he changed the firm around. And when he got married is when another agent there tried to steal all his clients. Now, the thing that wasn't indicated in the movie is the real reason that the guys took the clients and did all those things was Lee had and does have a disease, right? He's an alcoholic. So the clients wanted to leave. So, you know, like any great movie and Jerry Maguire may have a sports backdrop, but yeah. it's a great love story and a great story. And I think that's important because so many kids want to work in sports. And I keep trying to tell them, look, sports is a backdrop. It's an industry. You know, work on your skills, work on your knowledge, have that desire to must be what you can be. But there's so many different areas of sports that you can get involved with. That's how I reverse engineered my career into sports was I was a client and a customer at first and learned the business inside out, actually went to law school, not to be a sports lawyer, but to be an oil and gas litigator. But that education, those skills and knowledge all aggregated into me being a very qualified person to run that business. And so you went on to do something that not a lot of people can say, which is you started a business with a Hall of Fame athlete. So how did you how did you build a relationship with Warren Moon and decide to partner on your on your current business? And can you tell a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So when I was at Lee Steinberg, Warren uh, went to the same high school 10 years later than Lee did. So they were very, very close. And so when Warren uh, got into the Hall of Fame, he became a partner at the firm with us. And so I started working with Warren. And as uh, Lee's disease got worse, Warren approached me about starting our own company. And so we started our company about 11 years ago, Sports One Marketing. And the idea was uh, really spun from the fact that I didn't like 
representing athletes as a business. I like using the athletes as a bug light, using the greatest events in sports and entertainment and award shows as a bug light in order to attract high net wealth individuals with a purpose of helping other people. And so we created Sports One Marketing, working with the biggest names in sports and entertainment at the biggest events in sports and entertainment in order to attract the wealthiest people, the most influential people in order to support charities and causes. So we wouldn't do anything without that. And it really developed, the fun part about it was as we built it over the last 11 years, in the last three and a half years, Instead of having to use the Troy Aikman, Steve Young, and Warren Moons, the Sabathia Ramirez, the Evander Holyfields as our bug lights, I now, through digital media, have been able to build my own brand and become my own bug light, which creates great efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success in what we're trying to do. Uh, Because I obviously have great control of my own schedule, my own discipline. I don't have to be distracted or, or the other things that have always created, you know, a more difficult execution on our business model. Now that I'm in control and Warren himself in control of his brands, we're able to effectuate so much more and help so many more people. So I have to imagine that the world of, I know the world of sports is all up in a tizzy now, but I have to imagine events and sports marketing. I mean, this, this impacts your world a lot and, and you're also incredibly entrepreneurial. So What's going on? What are you seeing? And what are the creative solutions that people are coming up with to just deal with the reality of, of where we are right now in the middle of a, a global pandemic? Yeah, and I think a lot of people are ignoring the truth. And when I say that is I think okay. in sports, we have to break it to two sections. One, pre-vaccine, we cannot have mass gatherings until we have a vaccine. So the business of sports has to be utilized and analyzed and executed as a pre-vaccine opportunity. Post-vaccine, you now are going back into the realm of where we were. Um, Now, I have been talking about a stage theory for years, which was the biggest events in the world and the biggest activities in the world to the smallest ones are just a stage, right? We wanna capture it correctly, modify it correctly, amplify it correctly, and perpetuate it correctly in order to maximize the monetization of an exposure to that whatever sporting event it may be. So pre-vaccine, the stage theory is so crucial. And what you wanna do is see exactly how your capabilities or your interests, your knowledge and your desire are aligned or synergistic or supplementary to what's doing well right now in sports, what may be stable in sports, and then what the pendulum, I say, has swung too far emotionally. So in that example would be gambling. Uh, gambling's always been a successful venture in sports. In fact, people have distressed over getting the opportunity to be involved in that statistically successful business. Well, the pendulum has swung so far to the negative when you know post-vaccine that gambling will be thriving better than ever. And with you know 22 states in the United States uh, in the last 18 months approving sports betting, it's just poised to be a great benefit. People can only bet on ping pong for so long. So <laughs> right, exactly. Or, or cornhole. Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. ESPN Cornhole driving crazy or drone racing. But then there's esports as well. So because of the compressed uncertainty and acceleration of train pre-vaccine, I think the exposure to the world 
of how successful the great equalizer of sports that call it esports. I'm blessed to be an initial investor in Overactive Media with Meta World Peace and Marcus Colston in the weekend. But we have, you know, just this extraordinary opportunity to show what I call this great equalizer. And the reason I call esports the great equalizer is that everybody can compete at the highest level. It doesn't matter how tall, short, small, arms, no arms, legs, no legs. It does, women, men, it doesn't matter. You could be super successful in esports. And so it is the great community of competition, which we'll see accelerate and tons of people will create tons of content and monetize tons of different business models within the context of esports as well. But you're saying the reality is until a vaccine, there's no stadium live sports and, and it doesn't seem like most of the sports world is, is there yet in terms of accepting that. Right. I, and yeah. I think that's a big mistake, right? They're going to play around with bubbles and you're just going to see all these critical issues. And the reason is, you know, like, again, I'm a math person. All it takes is one person. It's the reason schools are going to shut down, right? You, one teacher, one student, one teammate, one coach, one referee, somebody with asymptomatic gets in there. Or, you know, there's a new strand of it because it doesn't cause a temperature and it doesn't show up on this test. Or, there's so many variables that we're seeing already. I am a realist, a pragmatist, mathematically, statistically. I cannot see the survival of mass gathering sports until we have a vaccine. Right, but you think after people will have no problem. You don't think there'll be lingering sort of, I mean, you know, you watch a live game now, an old game and you see the crowd and you kind of want to be like, get away from each other. I mean, I, I, you know, do you don't think there'll be with elderly or any fear of another virus? Do you think there'll be any lingering effects of, uh, for live sports? You nailed it. There will be lingering effects, but just as we're proving right now, right? There's always a segment of the population right now. That's not afraid, right? Right now that think this is still a hoax. There's people that don't somehow they find a a political interest in wearing a mask when to me, it's quite obvious a mask is to protect yourself and to protect others in in some sort of percentage. I don't know what it is, but it definitely doesn't hurt you. And so I think you'll find that statistically, some people will never go to another game again. And statistically, some people would go to a mass gathering right now. (laughs) Right. So what are you doing with your programs to innovate without the ability to have these like live events and fundraisers that I'm sure that are critical to what your business has been? Yeah. So we're a stage theory business completely now. So everything that I do is to find the greatest content I can in order to capture it. And it could be past or new or an aggregate or an amalgamation of it. And to create uh, this captured content to modify it specifically to multi-mediums. Uh, so it could be a tiny little TikTok up to an Instagram, to a LinkedIn, to uh, obviously a Netflix or even a mass movie uh, on demand uh, in mass events. So working with Angelo Pizzo and Van Patten from Game of Thrones, we're doing a $100 million movie for first responders called The Horses of Fires, all the way to an iPhone film Netflix kind of a uh, spinoff of Jewish AF meets the marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, that I'm working on all the way down to, you know, just personalized content. Uh, I do free trainings every single Friday with my biggest mission in life, which is to empower over a billion people to be happy. 
So I've been doing free trainings for over 20 years. Now, because of the stage theory, you know, millions of people view it, thousands of people attended, thousands of people register for free training. They get free guides and, and books and all these different things to help build that side of my business, the humanitarian side. But, you know, it's strictly all stage theory, capture, modify, amplify, perpetuate to maximize the monetization, tie it to a cause or a purpose so that we raise enough money and help other people. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. You know, and you, you talk about a lot, of, a lot of these athletes and celebrities, I think they've been able to build their own, you know, the age of social media, build their own brand and get directly to customers. What can entrepreneurs and, and business leaders learn about that? It seems like having a brand, you know, separate from your business or otherwise is becoming kind of a little bit of the new or a platform is becoming a little bit of the new, you know, advanced degree. Yeah, I think you have to first think about the size, scope and scale of your market. As an entrepreneur, it was so easy when we had a limited community uh, and compared to, you know, a multi-billion unit community, meaning that if we as entrepreneurs realize that we ourselves have our own spectrum, our own strength of a signal, our own authenticity, that we can be the channel in order to distribute product services and solutions. And that this is truly where we are going in this area of branding. And, and it takes time. I think the biggest lesson for an entrepreneur to think about right now, or anyone that wants to build their own brand, is I call it the lily pond story. It's acceleration and growth. If I told you that it would take 30 years to cover a lily pond with lilies and that lilies would double in their size every year. And if you started with one lily, it would take 30 years for the lilies to cover the pond. That's how you build a brand. Meaning that most people think about, well, the, the pond will be full in 15 years. No, it'll be full in 29 years. <laughs> it's, it, it'll be a quarter full in 28 years. Yeah. So you need to be so consistent and persistent with your own frequency, with your own authentic brand, your own personality. So if you're an expert at painting toenails, this is the first time ever in the history of the universe that you could have millions of people that are in your community eventually if you keep posting about the best techniques and the best colors, whatever it is about cutting or painting toenails. This is true and it's proven in multivariable mediums today. And I think that it's the most underutilized thing because people start, you know, a million two with their podcast or this type of content or start posting. 
99% of the people quit before they're 25% of the way there. Of that 1% that hang on, another 99% of those people quit before they get there. And I think this is why if you are consistent and persistent about your brand, there's no better time to stick to it. And here's the one thing that I've learned through building my own brand. You've got to be willing to oversaturate in your mindset the content that you're creating. Because what happens is initially only people that already love you or like you are going to watch your stuff. But the problem is you need to put out so much content every single day in order to attract that new audience that the people that are closest to you are going to make fun of you, snicker at you, tell you you're bugging them, annoying. So you have to be able to get past that barrier as well as the misperception of time acceleration and growth. And that was the hardest thing for me is people making fun of me. But I've always said, you know, laugh at me, scoff at me, then you'll applaud me. And still to this day, I don't think I realize the importance and the power of how much content you should be putting out, how consistently it is. I'm just scratching the surface and really reaping the awards. And, you know, one of my mentors is this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, you probably know in the entrepreneur space. From day one, he told me, Dave, you need to post more. Your stuff is good. You need to post more. And I was so embarrassed to do so. I have now relinquished my ego when it comes to that. And I encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, well, a couple of things that you said uh, on that that's really interesting, which is I've heard from a couple people over the years, like James Clear and folks with huge newsletter lists and, and that have been writing content. And when, when you ask them, how'd you get to that list? And they said, I wrote for a long time <laughs> before <laughs> anyone, you know, it, it's the compounding effect, kind of as you were saying, you just do it, you do it, you do it. And then 18, 24, 36 months in there, the hockey stick starts. And I think the people who somehow try to, uh, there's something about the universe sort of rewards longevity and sticking with it to those numbers you were saying are kind of like knocking out the people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. I There's just not a great shortcut around that other than you line up with some celebrity who can tweet something to a billion people. But I, I agree, you have to stick with it. Um, but also, I'm curious of your thoughts, particularly now in the charged environment. i Everyone's got this direct audience, social media, but I, you know the quote harkens for me: "They with great freedom comes great responsibility." You, you know, you can almost destroy that brand uh, with a tweet these days too. If you're not, if you forget how many people you are communicating, you know, every time you feel like just saying something, maybe after you've had a drink at eleven o'clock at night. No doubt, no doubt that with uh, that type of exposure, there's a great responsibility and accountability. Uh, The interesting thing as well is that, you know, it won't kill you though. In the past, uh, there was far less forgiveness as far as the brand goes and the exposure goes, where one mistake would be a death sentence. You absolutely have to be careful. You can damage, especially if you're dealing with companies, uh, you still get a death sentence. But as far as audience goes, it's so interesting for me because I'm just amazed from the president down what people get away with if they don't look for corporate sponsorship, right? On the corporate sponsorship, you still get a death sentence. They're, you know, they're going to walk away from you. The, the, the dollars are going to walk away. But as far as an audience in the community goes, sometimes you know I've seen just the most idiotic, hateful, unfortunate comments attract an audience. It might be the wrong audience, but because of the nature of the ubiquity of the audience and the size and scope and scale of your reach, sometimes, you know, look at Kanye, right? What's going on with him and his wife. Well, I was thinking about Deshaun Jackson's comments recently. Yeah, that's a very, right. He has corporate uh, side to it, right? So you're going to get a death sentence. 
But when you're looking at these other personalities that build off an audience, I mean, from the inception of Kim Kardashian, think about how she built her brand and what videos are out there and what it was. Now, one distinction also too, by the way, James Clear, Atomic Habits, huge fan and great friend and, and is a great example of how to build a brand the right way. But the interesting thing is people get confused. Some of the bigger brands today were just first. And, and you should be re rewarded, as you said, by being first in the game. But remember, a lot of people have been in a long time and consistent and you, they look like they're overnight successes. There's no such thing. Uh, you can be a quicker success if you're first in, but in the realm of what we're talking about, you have to be consistent and persistent. And if you have corporate ambitions and corporate relationships, you can destroy your brand with one tweet. Yeah, if you ask James, how, how do you build a million person newsletter list? He'd say, write two articles a week for five years yeah. and then write a book, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and most people be like, well, that sounds hard. How do I do that faster? <laughs> right, they don't want to. Look, I, I've been training people for 20 years. I've written four books, right? I literally go on every day, do something content-wise with multiple posts. And it, it was no expectation. And I wouldn't, and it's probably harder today than when I started three and a half years ago. Yeah. For sure. It's, it is very interesting. I think that this for all businesses and, and it's not just athletes. I mean, it's product companies and stuff now too, you know, the middle, the middleman's going away and, and you can have an audience. And I think the example I think about in terms of in COVID is like restaurants too, right? The restaurants that had strong loyalty programs and knew who their customers were and could actually reach out to them and tell them, that they were doing takeout or what their programs are. How many of these restaurants actually had no idea who their customers were, knew how to get in touch with them? Like I, I just think all businesses are going to be rethinking this direct relationship with their audience. Absolutely. And I think it goes to three things, right? They need to know the strength of their signal. How far does that audience reach? The spectrum of the signal. What's the avatar of their customer? And then also, I think there's been a great lesson in the clarity of your message. You know, as you get into these more virtual aspects of what we do, it's not what you say, it's what they hear. We don't have the correct ability of being on in-person meetings or being viewing each other in the same connotation and emotional status as we are. So I think it's really important for people to look at those three things of how far is my reach today? What is my avatar? What is, you know, my lookalike audience? Who am I actually addressing? And then also, it's not what I say, it's what they hear. What do people think, hear, and say about me? And how can I control that brand or utilize what they think, say, and, and hear about me in the best and most advantageous way? Yeah, I think it's, I think every business needs to dig into these principles, understand it. I mean, if you don't know who your if you don't know who your customers are and you can't speak to them directly, I think you're just at a huge disadvantage in, in the marketplace today. No doubt. And capture them, right? So not only know who they are, but how am I capturing them in person, on the phone, right. via email and media, radio, print, TV, and social media, all still utilized today, all still effective way of capturing your audience so that you can communicate effectively. So I love using sports analogies in business. Do you have a favorite sports lesson that you apply to business? Oh my gosh, it has to be about quitting, right? I mean, I am a Rocky, a Rudy, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the lead as long as you have the heart to come from behind, you know, simple, the don't quit poem, anything that involves not quitting, you know, I think quitting itself 
is the most ignorant idea that people proactively possess and, and act upon. If people would just continue to enjoy what they're doing, right? Instead of looking to see why the why nots of the world or the why me's of the world and become the try me person. I, I mean, I am so blessed as you are to meet extraordinary people in business, sports, entertainment, all the high actualizing people, world thought leaders. I sit on the transformational leadership council. I sit on the Olympic committee. All of the people I meet really have one common denominator. They must be what they can be. They're not quitters. Yeah. But I'll put you on one aspect because I have quitting. I, I actually, and, it, and this ties with values. I think you shouldn't quit the things you really care about and want, but then I think you got to learn to quit the stuff that just isn't important and doesn't matter. Right. Well, I see that as, you know, more as a, a pivoting for me. Like I, yeah. I will close a business if it's not working, but I'm taking the lessons and I'm still, you right. know, I'll double, I'll try to double down on my effort. You know, it's like people literally give up. Yeah. And I think that's a great distinction to make too, Bob. Right. And I mean, there was a part of this, uh, it was a great quote. I'm going to screw up the quote now, but I found it from my book, Elevate. And it said, uh, it, it was actually um, uh, the white Elizabeth Edwards, John Edwards' wife, who said, uh, who was going through the, his terrible public affair. And she said, part of being resilient is is deciding like what you want to fight for and what you don't want to fight for. And and I think that is important because we have a certain energy and, and some of the stuff I think we fight for, like it, we don't even really want it or shouldn't want it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect example of taking inventory of your values, right? And being a hypocrite and allowing yourself to learn. I always say pain, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and financial pain is just an indicator. It's just a turn signal. It's just telling us you have a lesson to learn, move in a different direction, and you're going to find something better or better your situation. It's that simple to me. No, absolutely. So, all right, last question. What's a personal or professional mistake? And it can be singular or it could be repeated uh, for a lot of people that you've learned the most from in your career? By far, if I was going to give myself advice at 22, 32, 42, or now at 52, it's ask for help. Live your life with radical humility. I, I have met and I you know, do executive coaching with some of the biggest chairmen and CEOs, and nobody's asking for help. Every day, practice asking for help. And I'm going to give you the verbiage, the subtle verbiage that I've learned over these years. It's simply, do you know anyone that can help me? And it's such an encompassing, easy, soft selling way to create a flow of abundance in your life. Everybody loves to help. Everybody loves to give. You need to learn to receive. Greatest lesson, greatest mistake I continually make. I walk out of situations, I'm like, oh, I blew the opportunity to allow that person to make an investment in me, allow them to give to me, to feel good about themselves, to feel the truth, love, light, and lessons. Oh my gosh, I didn't ask for help. Everyone out there, do you know anybody that can help me? Please, anybody that can help me. Learn that question. You will create a flow as well. And for me, anybody out there, do you know anyone that can help me to come to my free trainings on Friday? That's my big ask. All right. Well, David, thank you for uh, sharing your story with us. Uh, You've had a a fascinating career and uh, I'm very interested to, to see what you do next. Me too. And I'm interested to see what you do next as well. And I'm here to help and be of service. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. All right. And lastly, I know you just mentioned it, but where, where can people learn more about you and your work? dmeltzer.com at David Meltzer. My email is actually david at dmeltzer.com. And I have a text community, 949-298-2905. Please join me for my free trainings on Friday. 
All right. He is multimedia. You can get him anywhere. Thank you, David. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to David and his work on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review or a rating on iTunes as it helps new users discover the show. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you just have to click on the library icon, Elevate, and then scroll down to leave your rating or review. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.